Hi there, welcome to the More Simple Podcast. This is a podcast for Blacks, Asians, and those who love them. I am Mo, and I am your host, ready to spark your curiosity as I take you on this adventurous ride of exploring cultures through the stories of my guests from all over the world. On this show, we get really personal, discussing salient issues that are relevant to our contemporary age and also building community around them. As our guests exercise courage and vulnerability in sharing their life's experiences, we hope that in turn you are inspired by them and that you get the courage in it to set your own stories free. Enjoy the ride and thank you so much for listening. Welcome back to the show. This is the Most Simple Podcast, and I have such a super, the super privilege of introducing to this guest. And as you come to find out about her story, she's phenomenal in every sense of that word. So her name is Anna Tida, and she's an award-winning international journalist. She's also an author and host of the Thank You Mama podcast. And on her podcast, she interviews women from all walks of life around the world about the most important lessons they learned from their mothers. As you can tell, that's, you know, that's already speaking to my soul. After more than a decade working in international marketing and advertising in large companies, she published two memoirs and well over 100 essays, articles, and also interviews in renowned European newspapers, magazines, and journals. And she's also available on Medium, so go check out her stories. And I'm going to put all of that in the show notes. So everyone, please join me in welcoming Anna to the podcast. Hello. Hi. Thank you so much for having right. me. I'm very excited to be here with you. <laughs> same here, same here. And for those that might be curious, I met Anna through PodFest. So shout out to PodFest family. And it was my first time being a speaker. And she was assigned to be like my, I guess, my mentor. I think that was the word. So because I was having a session, they needed to be sure that I had my slides in order and we just ended up talking about just mothers and um, she gave me very good feedback, which really helped me. And after I was done, I was like, you know what? I want to learn more about her. So I followed her on Instagram and I, you know, clicked on her bio. I saw all the amazing stuff she's done. I've listened to a couple of her podcasts and then also, you know, read her, her articles on Medium. And so I was like, I need to bring her on the show. And she accepted the invitation. So that's really, really nice. Thank you so much for that. So um, I always like to, first of all, ask my guests, like, how did you grow up? Like, what was that like, your childhood? And and because I know a little bit about that, your migratory patterns. Well, can you just let us know a little bit about, you know, how you grew up? I grew up in a country that doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> I grew up in Yugoslavia, which is a country in Europe. And it's uh, sandwiched between Italy and Austria and Hungary. It's that area in Europe. Um, and Yugoslavia was, is an, let me say this, artificially created country out of six different republics and six very, very different people with different languages and religions and cultures. And um, the interesting thing was the president of Yugoslavia, who is called Tito, had this idea of creating a country that's 
that lies in between the Eastern Bloc and the Western Bloc, so in between the communism and capitalism. And he managed to do this. We were the only country who was really, we were literally in between the Iron Curtain. And I would say we kind of, we had both, you know, we, we kind of had best of both worlds. I grew up with an incredible mother. This is why my podcast is dedicated to mothers, because when my mom passed away four years ago, I suddenly had this terrible fear that I was going to forget everything she taught me and started writing everything down. And this and, and this started turning into a new book and telling my friends about it. It was very interesting to see how women were like, wow, yes, what did I learn from my mom? And we would always start talking about what we've learned from our moms. And this is what pro- prompted me to start the podcast in which I interview women. And what's really important to me is that they are from everywhere in the world and from all different backgrounds and religions, professions, walks of life about the most important lessons they learned from their moms. My mom was a movie star. <laughs> My mom was... A oh, very, wow. Yes, she was a beautiful, beautiful woman, extremely talented. She won all possible awards she could win back then in Yugoslavia for her movies. She was also a feminist and always chose roles to talk about women's struggles and, and, and show the different dimensions of of a woman's life and different roles of a woman's life. And parallel to that, she finished the Academy of Arts and became an artist. And she became an equally awarded and successful artist. So growing up with her was exceptional. It was beautiful to grow up with a mom like that. And um, when I was 17... And the Berlin Wall fell up, fell, fell. The wall fell. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. fell apart. Well, <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> our country also started falling apart. So the six republics decided that discovered nationalism and this national identity, and decided that they would be better off if they were separated and on their own. And unfortunately, these tensions ended up in a very brutal war, which lasted for many years and took hundreds of thousands of lives and this is where when the first air raid reached Zagreb the capital of Croatia where we lived my yes Croatia my mom and I decided to move to 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 go to Vienna where my dad they separated when I was nine years old and he's lived in Vienna for a few years and we decided to go and stay with him for a few days we thought this will be a few days just until things calm down um and a few days turned into 21 years of living in vienna no way yes it was insane you know it was so crazy i packed back then i was still doing a lot of ballet and i packed my ballet bag with things like one extra jeans a few underwear like whatever it was we were literally packing packing in a blackout during an air raid yeah so you pack whatever you think is most important for these few days and and then really thought it would be over and it wasn't and it lasted for months and months and months and then my parents said now you should start school um 
And this is how I started school. And then they were like, finish school. Now you're in Vienna, you're doing school in Vienna, finish school. And, you know, and this is how I ended up staying. Wow. I'm just talking scary. away. I'm talking away. I no, so no. Many- I mean, I could just, I could just listen to you all day long. And first off, I mean, your mom, just the little you said about her, I can just imagine just how you are like her because you're beautiful in and out oh, thank you. and all of your talent. So I'm sure she's super proud of you and I can see that. And um, I just imagine if I had to, if I had a country for 17 years that I knew was mine, all of a sudden it ceased to exist. Fine. I, I don't live my life thinking, oh, I'm Nigerian all through and through, but it's still a part of me, right? Yep. When that erodes, how did you, how did you know, like, you know how you, that sense of identity from having your country, like, almost like erased. And then you live in, in the middle of the night, whatever time you left, packing just, you know, for a day, for two, two days or maybe a week. And then it ended up being 21 years. Mm. I mean, how, how was all of that? Um. You know, I was still Croatian, so when Yugoslavia fell apart, Croatia became its own country. So that kind of helped. You know, the the country didn't just evaporate into nothing. But there are, I have a friend here in Seattle, and she's from Bosnia. And Bosnia is a mix in a mix. Like in Bosnia, you have Serbian Orthodox Christians, Croatian Catholics, and then you have Muslims. And... There's no, it, they, when, when this country fell apart, these people escaped. And, and she tells me, like, she escaped to the UK and her passport, her Yugoslavian passport ex- expired at one point. And there was no country where you can go, like, no embassy or consulate where you can go and have it. It's like, there's no country. I didn't have that problem because as soon as Yugoslavia fell apart, Croatia became a country. So, you know, that oh. that was not that dramatic. Yeah. Um, <sighs> but still, I mean, things you, things you left behind, like, how, how did that not... I mean, I imagine that there were some psychological issues from that, from just, you know, thinking you're just going to be gone for a week and then it became 21 years. You know what I want to tell you? I think it's one of the... Uh, one of the biggest and most important lessons I've learned because I've experienced this. I've experienced this again when I met my husband (laughs) and I was back then in Vienna and he lived in Los Angeles and we met each other and we, I came to visit Los Angeles and this and that long story short, at one point we decided that I should come to LA and stay for a few weeks and see how this goes. And then it went very well. And we decided that we don't want to have a long distance relationship, but that I should come move to Los Angeles for a little bit longer. I was able to do this because I was on a grant to write my second book. So I was financially covered and I had a project that I could do from anywhere. So I, I, did it. I sublet my apartment. I packed all my things and put them in the basement. And I went to Los Angeles with one suitcase. And I've lived in Los Angeles for 10 years after I never (laughs) unpacked those boxes are still in the basement. Can you believe that? Like, (laughs) but so, you know, what's beautiful, what's really beautiful to learn is that possessions like physical things really do not 
matter. Like, and I was so connected to my clothes and my books. I, I had a big library and I thought, oh, I could never live with my books and all these things. And from both of these experiences, I've learned that you can build a beautiful new life out of one suitcase and these physical things, you know, the physical things don't matter so much. They, they really don't matter. You know what? I agree with you. And I, I, I agree with you. I think one can also say that your experience, you know, leaving Yugoslavia and then going to Vienna, that kind of prepared you to remember what, what really mattered. And and so, like, the move from Vienna to L.A. was, you already had the training, you know, yes, several I years did. before. And, and thanks for that reminder. Because we, we tend to just think, like, oh, no, you know, even just the Wi-Fi going out for, like, a day were, like, a yeah. horrible wreck. But there's yeah. so much more important things in life than, you know, material things. So thanks for that reminder. So yeah. many more yeah. important things. Let's start with health. <laughs> I know, right? Speaking yeah. of health, this is a very yes. good segue. So I read your article on Medium and it spoke volumes to me. So I do cancer research as part of my job. Oh, wow. And um, yeah, I, I, I focus mostly on prostate cancer and I've dabbled in some gynecological cancers. But your your husband... I remember the opening line of your article was just some, it was a few weeks after your wedding, he was diagnosed with, was it testicular cancer? Yes. And then, you know, your grandparents, you know, your, your parents, your mom was also diagnosed right after your husband's surgery. And then your husband had a recurrence and you, you've been through a lot and the center of it all is you. So can you just walk us through just how you coped, you know, trying to navigate. And I think there was a part you said you had to go be there for your mother. And you know, um, help her, you know, through doing taking care of her and all that. But how are you able to, I guess, cope during all this difficult time, having to show up as a wife, as a daughter, and also as a mother? Because you have your own, you know, child as well. Mm -hmm. Um, it's insane how many cancers we have in our family. It's really like both my grandmothers, my dad was diagnosed once my mom twice, my husband twice. It's, it's just like, it's, it's crazy, crazy, crazy. And, and, uh, in the beginning it was easier to cope with those cancers because they, in the, with my parents is first two cancers and Nick's also because they were healed. You know, my, my dad had a bladder cancer and he, he, he did some BCGs and they, they kind of, he went through a couple of therapies and they didn't need to take the bladder out and he recovered and it's been 15 years ago and he's been free. And my mom had a colon cancer and they just, they managed to remove only the cancerous heart and she recovered and then Nick had testicular cancer and they they you know they did a surgery so in the beginning it was kind of cancer but we're dealing with it you know we're still here and stuff but then the worst thing experience was when Nick Nick's cancer came back when it metastasized because we thought after the surgery, we thought this is it, we've done it. And and yeah. we he kept on going to the to the checkups in the beginning every few months and then every six months and so on. And they told us if he doesn't return in two years, in two years, yeah. It won't be back. Mm -hmm. And so 
the two years arrived and we had a baby in the meantime and Kai was on six months old and he had his six his two years checkup and he went went for his checkup and I, I thought this was the first one where I didn't go with him because we we're like okay it's two years we've done this you know you're healthy and he called me from the hospital and I'll never forget that moment in my life and he's like it's back and I was just like you know those moments when you just die for a second you're just like um, and, and he had to go into very, very difficult chemo, chemo for, I've learned through this, there's chemo and chemo, there's lighter chemo, and there's very difficult is- chemo. So the chemo for testicular cancer is like a bombardment of your body. Like he would, for, for four months, I, I had to take him to an emergency room at least once a week in the evenings during chemo, because I was think I thought he's dying. Like once he's lying on the on the couch and shivering, and he's like, "I'm I can't see." He lost his sight at one point. Like oh, they, it, it was insane. Uh, so the the cancer battling with cancer is harder when it comes when you've experienced that when it once mm-hmm. came back because then it's very hard to believe that you know in a good outcome. But what really helped me was. As, as you said somewhere, you're like, you had to show up for your life. You had a baby and you had your husband and you had work, you know, and that helps. Just trying to trying to continue living a normal life and not allowing this ongoing um, battleground, I don't even know how to call it, to, I think that's very, very, it, it's very hard, but it's really helpful to stay sane. And uh, just try to continue functioning as normal and doing your normal duties and things and taking care of your baby and cooking dinners and just trying to. And what also helped a lot was learning. When Nick went into chemo, I really learned to take care of myself. Like I, I knew that if I don't take care of myself now, I... This could have long-term effects on me and my health. So while he was in chemo, I was really trying to do things that helped me to stay sane. I was meditating. I went to yoga. I was went for hikes into nature. I was really very consciously being like, okay, I need. I am a patient almost as much as Nick is in this situation, and I really want to call out to anybody out there who is a caregiver to be aware that. As one of the doctors of my parents said, he said when cancer, the whole family is a patient, you know, and and caregivers really, really need to take care of themselves to be able to support the patient. So if any caregivers are listening, go for your hikes, go for your whatever you need to help yourself. You need to do that. You need to do this because you need to stay strong and healthy through that. That's a very, very, you know, um, thanks for that, by the way. And I'm so sorry for all you had to go through. Oh, thank you. Cancer is one scary word, but to have had it in recurring form and just in such an abundance in a family. Yeah. That's, you know, and then you, I don't even know if these thoughts go to your mind, like, well, am I next? Like, you know, I have to also watch out for myself and look at my risk factors and all that. And even with your husband's recurrence, I mean, the, when you start with the first time you have cancer, they have like regimens, but then the second time it comes back, 
you can't use the same medications anymore. They have to like you know start yeah. being inventive because yeah. possibly right. there's gonna be a little bit of resistance and and mm-hmm. but I'm so I'm glad that he survived and kudos on you guys. I know from your article he started a fundraiser for the American Cancer Society okay. and in just one month. You guys raised over $24,000. Wait, I mean, how crazy. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, in one, like just 58 people. I'm telling you, like, good job. I think it speaks to just who you guys are and just, you know, your network as well and just the but passion you, know you have why? for your community as for that. Did you, I don't know if you read Nick's article, but it was crazy because he went into chemo and they said, we, there, we have medication for nausea. And we have the cheap one that's going to be covered by your insurance. And it's $200, but it doesn't $200 work. pill one. Is it that yeah. one? Yeah. And then we have yeah. an expensive one, $200 pill, which will only be covered by your insurance if the first one doesn't work. But the problem with nausea with ke- chemotherapy is once it starts, like you yeah. have to kill it. And that's the battery. Yes, start. yes. Once you see it, yes, yes. And and Nick's, Nick just, that first night was, I, I... I really thought he was going to like I I thought he's going to die in the toilet like in he was on the floor and his head was in the toilet bowl and he was unable to move like it was terrible and this was partially and we were talking about there are people out there who don't have insurance you know and this Look is why insurance. Nick, yes I know and this is why Nick Nick was when when this five year checkup happened and he's now officially clear and doesn't have to do any more checkups we wanted to celebrate that and 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 try to help those who need help you know who can't i mean i mean sincerely if you guys have not even done anything the toes cancer has in you it's not for you to just you know stay quiet and be like let's just take things chill but you guys went above and beyond. And so I just wanted to say that that's, you know, mighty, mighty honorable of you guys to have, you know, reached out back again to see how you can help other people. Because even with the good insurance, your husband, I think it was from the Writers Guild of America, that wouldn't even cover it. And so, yeah, health equity and access still remains oh, an issue. So and even in some developing countries where you don't have access to a lot of these medications, that's a totally different, you know, board game. But I'm, I'm glad that you guys are here and, you know, he has that five-year free and a pray that you know that remains permanent so you you have a podcast right um thank you mama and you have spoken to a lot of women across the world you've your mission is to find out what they've learned from their mothers and i remember what even breathed my um my thought about bringing to the podcast was i did an episode with my mom and even thinking about it i'm almost crying because I don't think I really know her, right? And my mom, she has such a quiet personality, but she's very strong. I think most mothers are strong in their right. But my mom has a very quiet personality. She's not, she won't walk into a room and want to be noticed. I'm the opposite of that. But in, and there was so much she didn't even tell me. And I guess she's still trying to do that part of protecting, you know, how mothers tend to do that. But the time she, even the little I could glean from her story, I realized that I didn't know mom before who mom was, you know, before mom was mom. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I do know the importance of at least getting to know your parents, your mothers, especially, especially for the girls in um, seeing what you can learn from them as you grow older. Cause you know, as a kid, you kind of sometimes take a, a lot of things, you know, in stride, like, Oh mom, you know, but when you're married and you start having kids, you're like, Oh, thank you. You know, I miss my mom. or I wish, you know, and, and you know, things like that. So I'm just curious to know what, what do you think, um, are some of the common areas of weaknesses 
of mothers from the older generation and that you think mother of mothers of today should you know double up on like what can we do better because as much as i've you know um talked about some of the things i thought my parents didn't do very well i still acknowledge the fact that they did their best because our kids are still going to criticize us it's always going to be a moving yes. um, story yeah. we only do better yeah. right but yeah. what would you say given all your experience talking to women what would you say we as you know mothers of this generation can do what can we do better you know it's so interesting i interviewed over 60 women now and really uh-huh. literally from all over the world i it's it's amazing from from nepal to burma to sri lanka to mexico trinidad like literally all over the world and for me the biggest lesson through this podcast was that how unite how we are more united like we are there's more that unites us than there than separates us that's my theology too (laughs) yeah and you know because listening to this this stories and lessons from moms there was a mom from turkey who grew up on a farm and was not allowed to go to school so she was illiterate for instance and there's a mom from Nepal who grew up on a farm in Himalayas and also didn't go to school. And then there are moms from, I don't know, the States who have PhDs. And it's amazing to listen to these daughters and the lessons and the lessons are all the same. You know, it's it's I'm so excited about this because it's going to become a beautiful book. I'm I'm already have the book in my head and I think it's so beautiful. And I'm learning a lot. Now I wish I had a daughter because now I'm learning a lot about what we should teach our daughters. So what keeps on being mentioned is what many moms are doing right for their daughters, obviously, is to make them feel, um, is give them self-confidence when when moms do this when moms when your mom tells you you are amazing and awesome and you can do this and go out and conquer the world and you know this this keeps on keeps on coming you, my mom gave me the courage and she gave me the self confidence to face life and 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 discover and build and create and and i'm learning that for my role as a mom i have a son that this really matters in life that your parents give you this strong base this strong self confidence um and many moms it's interesting how moms always teach their daughters to be self reliant no matter where they come from what kind of background religion where mothers always tell their daughters and this is fantastic you know have your education have your job have be able to stand on your own two feet and don't rely on a man like don't rely on a man in any shape or form keeps on coming back through throughout the interviews um and then what what daughters wish they would learn from their mothers and mothers obviously are still not capable of teaching them is first of most of all about sex and their own bodies. Mm-hmm. And that keeps coming back where women are like I wish my mom it, it told told me about it and made me 
appreciate my body and my youth and made me own it, you know. As one of my guests said, so I didn't have to go through trial and error. I like that. It's like, oh my God, it's really <laughs> Women should not go through it's sexual sad, but it's trial true. and error. <laughs> it's the truth, no. Spare our daughters that. I know, it's so dangerous, but that's the reality for yeah. most people. And, and, and they often say how women think if their mothers taught them to own their bodies and their sexuality, they would feel much stronger in life in general, like own it much, much more. And the other thing that keeps on coming is finance. Women are like, I wish my mom was teaching me the meaning of money and finance and bills and taking care of my financial situation. And then something that really surprises me is many women, and these are like doctors and PhD and successful women, they're like, I wish my mom taught me to take care of the household. How interesting is that? Because even if I didn't do it myself, it would be easier for me to organize somebody to do it or like it would just make it easier for me to deal with a household if if I knew how to do it, you know, even if one day I decide I'm not like, I don't know, this lady was a molecular bi- biologist and she works a ton. I'm sure she, she gets help, but she's like, it would be easier for me to get help and organize help and everything else if I knew what needs to be done. So that surprised me a lot because many moms are like, you don't need to learn household, go do your PhD, earn money. Like, you know, that doesn't matter. But obviously women would like to know because then it would be easier for them to organize that part of life. Wow. Yeah. I mean, Confidence, finance, sex, education, self-reliance, yeah. and that last part on you know house like home management. I bet mm-hmm. those were not African moms because you know growing up as an African child, you learn that home management, taking care of the house, taking care of yourself. Because yeah. yeah. And and yeah. and Mexican Latin American moms like Mexican Mexican moms also do yeah. that. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. The downside is that they do that to prepare you for your husband, which, you know, has its untoward effect, like almost like the only value you can have, which it seems that's what they communicate, even if that's not what they mean, is, you know, your husband's house. Yeah. But, you know, even if you don't have a husband, as one of the women said, look, even if I don't have a husband, I wish I knew when I go to a store, what would be a clever thing to buy to prepare dinners or just a couple of menus to give me an idea. And I was struggling with that. My mom was too busy with her careers and and never really cooked like my mom was not. And it really I had to learn all of that myself. I learned how to cook by myself and it would be much easier if somebody showed it to me. Your mom would touch it. Uh, uh, you guys should have just done like an exchange program with an African mom. That will be squared away, squared away in time with all of the other things your mom taught you. It'll have made for a well balanced life. Um, thank you for all of that, those nuggets. And I do, I mean, solemnly agree with you that rather than looking at our differences to divide us, we can lo- use our similarities to kind of bring us together. And yeah. even speaking of moms, one of the reasons why I'm actually still how I was able to enter the Korean culture and, you know, speak the language or also exploit as a second culture was I had this roommate in Boston who was Korean and 
we had been classmates for like three years before then, but we really didn't really talk. It was just, you know, hello, hi, you know, sit down together mm-hmm. and just take classes together. But rooming together in Boston, we got to know each other so well. And the more she talked about her mom, the more I realized that, oh my gosh, your mom is just like mine, you know, yeah. erratic and, you know, yeah. particular about stuff, you know, having to like hide. I don't mm-hmm. know if your mom did this as well. Like the Danish cookies, um, the, the bowl, like putting like, not cookies inside, but they'll put all, all sort of needles and thread and home appliances and yes. all that. Sorry, no home appliances. So like what we just talked about, we laughed a lot at our moms. Like you think our mothers were separated at birth. And and I think for my mom, personally, is that even though she's 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 introverted and quiet, those things she talked about as to, you know, things mothers can do, she she really pumped me up a lot. She made me feel like I could do anything. And that really should get me into trouble. I was I was that child that I would just I would do things and I would explore. She always gave me the wings. She was the quiet, you know, voice at the back of my head, you know, praying for me and you know pushing me on. She knew she couldn't do a lot of them. You know, life happened for her. She got pregnant, you know, before she got married, and that kind of got interrupted. But she she wanted to make sure that I had the best life, and so I'm super thankful for that. And so thanks for that reminder, because as, as we were going down the list, I'm like. Yep, my mom taught me that. Yep, my mom taught me that. <laughs> now the sexuality part of it, she really didn't do a good job, but you know that <laughs> that's something I want to improve on. You know, because we do better, right? I want to improve on that. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> but, uh, before before we go on, I just love how all our moms, a Korean mom, a Nigerian mom, and a Croatian mom, had their sewing kits in the Danish cookies in the. Oh my gosh! Trust that. issues. Trust <laughs> issues. I'm like, was that a conference for mothers? That is how my trust issue started. Or they'll put like, you know, ice cream containers in the fridge, but it didn't have ice cream and they had soup in it. I'm like, oh my gosh, mother. <laughs> oh, and then my Syrian friend, her mom did the same thing. And guess okay. what she did? She got me, she got me Danish cookies and she wrote a little note. Don't worry, it's not thread and needles, it's raw cookies inside. And that made me laugh, you know, and I, I put that post That's on Instagram. Funny. Yep. Bombs all over. You could talk about them being very economical at home. Um, so <laughs> you 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 had you had a near death experience with your mom, like you know, fleeing when you know they had that raid. And I imagine that even talking about your mom, the glow on your face, you talked about just her quiet, you know, um nature, even her delicacy. And I remember reading your article of of how she even died like six weeks after her diagnosis. She went her way. You know, like you know, just how she would have wanted it done. And I, I like to see that. But I do know some friends that the very word mother is a trigger to them because they never really had that growing up. They didn't have that nurturing person. It's still a son in their adult self. These are people that have gone on to accomplish great things in life, but mother is still a word that you know brings a lot of pain. And for those who don't have such, um, I guess, good, fun memories of their mothers, how how can the mothers, I guess, develop a close, neat relationship with their children? Because I feel like you only know what you know, right? And there's some trauma that you can you can transmit. How do we prevent all of those, you know, past trauma from affecting our current, you know, situation? You know what's interesting? My mom didn't have a mom. Uh, my mom's mom passed away from placenta cancer, the very rare, unusual sort of cancer, when my mom was only 12 years old. Placenta so cancer? Was, I've never even heard of that before. No, it's super, super rare. And back then, after Second World War, there was no cure for it. Nowadays, you can cure it. Apparently, it's like testicular cancer where it's, it's you know, they, they can cure it. Back then, there was no cure. My, my grandfather was... Um, 
uh, internist. He was a doctor, and he he was madly in love with my grandmother, who was apparently a very beautiful and very sweet woman. And he tried everything. He sent her to Sweden, and this was after Second World War, shortly after. So Europe was still recovering. He sent her all over Europe to try to save her life, and they didn't work. So my mom didn't have a mom since she was twelve years old, and yet she was this incredible mom, and. Once I asked her when before I had a baby, and we saw a child having a tantrum on a playground, and I said, "Mom, you know, I don't remember ever having a tantrum. Like, I don't remember you and I clashing and like me having tantrums. How did you do that?" And she said, which then I understood and remember. Then you know when your lights go off, she's like, "You know." You and I were always partners. Since you were in my belly, I was not your mom or somebody who knows better or somebody who has to dictate to you how to do this. Since you were in my belly, you were my partner, and I, I always connected to you. And my mom was very good that way. Like my mom was this enlightened person who, without meditating and doing all these spiritual things, really knew how to connect to. Whatever you want to call it, the source, the universe, the God, whatever you want to—I think this is why she was so successful with all her creative endeavors. But she really, she and I were really directly connected emotionally and in every single way. There was never a confrontation. There was never—we would argue. We are Mediterranean, and we would be like like this. But there was never a feeling that one is against the other. You know what I mean? And and that my mom is opposing something on me or forcing something on me. She really always worked with me since I was a child, since I was a baby, as a partner, as a kind of an equal equal person. And I think. Yeah. Which can be dangerous because you can spoil it. And I now, as a mother, I'm wondering, like, how did she manage to do that without me? And and I still had full respect towards my parents and towards her. You know, if she said something, this is how I yeah. wouldn't question it or argue it. It's or a something. very delicate line. It's a very. It's I think yeah, a lot of parents do it the totally opposite way. The child becomes like a peer and then they lose respect. They kind of like you lose know, respect and go, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So. Wow. So this is what I'm trying to do with Kai. I'm I'm really trying to not oppose myself on him without him understanding why. You know, like really, I'm trying to and and as she said, like connect myself with him, like understand where he is and how he feels and where he's coming from, and work with him on that level. Hmm. That's a very good one because um, I I used to well I used to have daddy issues maybe I still have it but I've, it's been resolved in the sense that I now have a relationship with my dad where we can talk about stuff but some days I, I don't easily connect to him because we just started getting a relationship in my thirties right but mm-hmm. I think one of the things that I go back and I thought he could have done better was. He wanted us to do, he wanted us to be raised right, which you know I mm-hmm. love and respected. But he had his way of doing that was to you know punish and talk yeah. down and all that yeah. without even trying to ask like, do you know why I'm doing that to you? There was no mm-hmm. communication. It was just you know mm-hmm. one way. There wasn't like a communication. And so one of the things I want to do better is 
So even when I lose my mind, even when I make mistakes, I want to have that space for communicating with my kids. Yeah. To let them yep. know, you know, this is yep. what happened. And I, if, I, if I need to apologize, I will apologize because I want them to know that we can always make mistakes. But our parents really do that. In a, a lot of our <laughs> parents didn't do that growing up. You know what's interesting? You you brought me back to our old one of our old questions. What I've learned through the mothers and that I've interviewed, or through daughters that I've interviewed, and I forgot to mention this. And this is exactly what you were saying. Apparently, when a parent, in this case mothers, tell their daughters, "I want you to know I did my best. I did my best. You know, I did what I knew how to do, and I did my best. And I'm very sorry if I did some things wrong." It, it's incredible how much it means to daughters or children in general to to let them know where you are coming from as a parent and that you tried and maybe you didn't know better, but that your intentions always were the best. And as you said now, to apologize if you did something wrong, that, that means a ton to children, even if it's years later to one day be like, you know what, I'm sorry that if I hurt your feelings or if I did this wrong or something I'm so I'm sorry. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that's so big. I agree. So big. I agree. It was one of the things that actually I think really helped my parents, my 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 dad especially. I'm not. I wasn't waiting for his apology or saying he was sorry, but it was when I felt like he understood what I went through. I think that was when the bruises started healing. I'd gone through years of therapy, and that has helped. But I think that apology, not in the sense of I'm sorry, but communicating. Okay, this is where I think what I did must have affected you. That means a lot. That speaks volumes. Yeah. And I know a lot of children are still waiting for that. And these are people that are in their adulthood that, you know, they're doing amazing. But when it comes to parental wounds, the wounds are so deep. And my fear is that it becomes so transcendental. Sorry, like it becomes translational. You can translate it to someone else and, mm-hmm. you know, and it keeps going on mm-hmm. and going on. So I guess the moral mm-hmm. of the story is that we can do better. You know, our, our kids are going to criticize us, but one thing they can never say oh, for well, me yeah. would be, you know, I couldn't talk to her. She never apologized. I couldn't communicate my feelings. Yeah. I know it's going to be different. And, you know, this one thing mm-hmm. I'm going to have learned from my parents, like, you know, open communication. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, and you've also talked about how that also affects your role as a mother. But I'm imagining, there, are there any other tips you, you can share with us quickly about with all the things you've gained from your mom and the, and the stories you've learned along the way from your guests? How has your role as a mother been influenced? I think I've already answered this in the last question. Yeah, you know, yeah, I, yeah. I'm trying to be connected to him. I'm trying okay, to yeah. mm-hmm. understand where he's coming from and what, how he feels and what's happening with him at that moment. And trying, as you said, that weird balance of being a partner but still being the authority to your child. Yes, and yeah. and <laughs> what I'm really trying to do Two things that are so important to me. One is, as we spoke in the beginning of the interview, to just give him all the self-assurance I can give him right now and this very strong base of I can do this, you know, and I'm, I'm special and I'm strong and I have my talents and I can do this. And the other thing that that I've learned through my mom passing away is when she was gone, I had a weird feeling that we are like batteries you know and that we get charged up with love and that love stays if we're completely charged up with love. when my mom left I felt so charged up with her love that I knew I was going to be okay you know she put so much love into me 
that when she left, I was like, okay, I have all this love. It's going to serve me for the rest of my life. And to be honest, this is what I'm trying to do with Kai. Because Maybe because of all the cancers and experiences, I'm like, you never know. You never know what life will bring. I'm putting yeah. all the love I have right now into this child because whatever happens, he needs to be charged up with my life, love for the rest of his life. You know, this is, there, sometimes you never know. Yeah, you, never you just know. never know. And speaking of which, I mean, with your writings, the backing of the internet to preserve all of your words and, you know, your voice and all of that, it's always going to be there. It's evergreen, like we said, which leads me to my final question. You've had what can be seen as an adventurous life. You have been a UN diplomat. You have, um, you know, you've, you've lived a life as a corporate executive, as a journalist, as an author, and now a podcaster. When all is said and done, and you still have a lot more stories ahead of you because you, your life is always going to be a story. You still have more years ahead of you. What would you like to be remembered for For when you know, you're no more and the curtain is finally pulled down? What would you like to be remembered for that? Now I have to talk about my mom again. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. So it's, a, it's all about mom today. We're all for it. Yeah, because, you know, because she was so successful and because she left so much work behind her, like all the movies she's done and all the paintings, like I have a house full of her gorgeous paintings and the books she designed and the jewelry she created and all these amazing, amazing things she's done and and awards and you you know when when she passed away the whole country was like it was this big big loss but what i've really learned through through her leaving was that what really matters and it sounds kitschy but it's love (laughs) because what really matters is all these people that reached out to me that i've never met in my life and said I'll miss her. I'll miss her. You know, I'm, I'll miss her smile. I'll miss, I'll miss the light she brought when she entered the room. I miss the way she would meet you on the street and say, let's go, come to my house, let's have coffee, you know, or cook spontaneous dinner for some people seriously that I've never met would write me emails and call me and be like, I'm going to miss this human being. Nobody said, well, I'm going to miss the movie star, you know, or I'm going to miss the whatever. And and to be honest, I still don't know what to do with this. This is, if I could leave something, this is what I want to leave behind me. And it's beautiful that I'm writing books and that one day Kai can take my books and see what mama did. You know, that that I, I don't want to underestimate it because it's very beautiful. I'm very excited that I'm a creator and I'm going to leave something behind. But... I want to, it's, when I grow up, I want to be a person who lights up the room when she enters. And, you know, and I, I want people to feel happy to spend time with me and miss that. I think this is what we, this is, this is the important thing to leave behind, to leave, leave joy behind with the people, you know, touch their yeah. heart in some way. And I have a strong feeling you're already doing that, you know, with your work and your presence and everything you do. Thank you so much. Um, So how many languages do you speak, Anna? 
<laughs> I am fluent in Croatian, German, and English. I used to be fluent in French, but then I stopped using it and that French a little. I'm, I can still read it and yeah. I need help, you know. I'm sure it would come back. Yeah. And I, I taught myself Italian. <laughs> I, mean, I taught myself Italian as well, a little. I, I'm not very... Italian is, after learning French, quite simple is to it, learn. Yeah, romantic <laughs> language. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, yeah, these are my languages. Oh, and I love awesome. them all. I used to speak French too, not at a super fluent level, but like you know, yeah. I just can't read it because I stopped using it. So, could you please give us a shout out in whatever language you're comfortable with the most? You want to say you're listening to the Most Sible podcast? Slushate Most Sible podcast. See Hearn Most Sible podcast. You're listening to Most Sible podcast. Vous écoutez Mo Sibyl podcast. <laughs> Merci beaucoup. And that's the end of all of the questions. Anna, I want to thank you so much. Oh my gosh. I feel like we could like do like a whole panel discussion on mothers and all the things you've learned. And um, after we're done, I'm going to go Google your mom. I'm going to put that in the show notes as well because we need to yeah. keep our legacy going. And thank you so much for all the things you've shared. Um, people need to go listen to your podcast and we're going to put that in the show notes as well. I deeply appreciate you. You've taught me a lot today, especially about the importance of not attaching importance to material things. At the end of the day, um, what really matters is the people in our lives. And you've had you've had that shown in many times, you know, from living you know Yugoslavia to going to Vienna and then from Vienna to you know LA and then the cancer care with your you know your your spouse with your mom and your grandmother. Like you know you've 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 had such a stark reminder of the basic importance you know in life which is you know people and 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 what we should leave behind so thanks for that reminder i'm not gonna forget that anytime soon and yeah so guys this is it where can people find you Anna? people can find me uh on my website which is www.tider which is t-a-j-d-e-r.com so that's my second name the impossible to spell <laughs> And I am on all different social media with my name. I'm, it's just Anna, A-N-A-T-A-J-D-E-R. I'm everywhere and I love connecting to people. <laughs> yes. Guys, go check out her stories as well. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Merciful Podcast. Well, guess what? There's plenty more where that came from. So visit our website at www.mosibyl.com. That is www.mosibyl.com where you can find hours of other binge-worthy episodes just like this one. And while you're at it, please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Podbean as it encourages other awesome people like you to listen to the podcast as well. We are now officially on Podbean. It has an app. You can catch up on missed episodes and also get a notification when we have new episodes. Do you have a question for our guest, feedback on the episode, or a suggestion for a future guest? Then please get in touch with us by sending us an email at talktomore@mostable.com or connect with us via Instagram at the Morosible Podcast. Cannot wait to hear from you and thank you so much for always listening. Mm-hmm.